Good morning, and welcome to LifeBridge. Today, Pastor Chris will be continuing from where Pastor Bruce left off last week in Genesis 21. As we learn, the eternal God is with us. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Genesis 21. Today's reading will be um, in verses 22, or 21, or 22 through 34, excuse me. Um, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab a pew Bible from in front of you. Uh, today's reading will be on page 18. Again, we are in Genesis 21, looking at verses 22 through 34. Follow along as I read. At the time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal with me and the land where I have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved, or then, or when Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech, that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, what is, this, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs will, you will take from my hand, that this may, or, <laughs> that this may be a witness from, for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted the tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Please bow your heads as I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful you are the everlasting God, the same God who was faithful to Abraham and with Abraham is the same God who gave his son for our sins. Lord, help us to remember that fact. Lord, help us to see that you are ever-present and able to deal with all situations, no matter how difficult. Help us to remember to call upon the everlasting God, like Abraham. Be with Pastor Chris this morning as he teaches your word and help your church body learn and understand and spread your word to others in your world. All this we pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. And I know at least you will appreciate that I will have to say Abraham and Abimelech numerous times this morning. So I hope you have your Bibles open, and we are looking at Genesis 21, 22-34. And you know, let's be honest, this passage seems to appear out of place when you first read it. I mean, it's like, what's going on here? After all, it seems like a continuation of the story about the pagan king Abimelech and the patriarch Abraham that we heard about previously two weeks back in Genesis 20. 
Let's refresh our memories on that. Abraham, out of fear, lied for the second time that Sarah was his sister. And for the second time, a pagan king took her into his harem, only to be warned this time by Yahweh himself in a dream that Sarah was actually Abraham's wife. Consequently, this pagan king, Abimelech, pled his ignorance and innocence before God and rebuked Abraham for deceiving him. The story ends with Abraham interceding on behalf of all the women in Abimelech's palace and harem that Yahweh would open up their wombs for the sovereign God had closed their wombs in order to protect Sarah in the line of the Messiah. But instead of following after that story, this morning's passage is sandwiched between the climatic birth of Isaac that we saw last week and the climatic sacrifice or near sacrifice of Isaac that we're going to see next week. So you got these two greatest mountaintops, perhaps, in all the Old Testament. And in between, you have, boom, sandwiched in between it, this very ordinary passage. Look at verses 22 through 23 again. Abimelech pops back up. It's at least three or four or even five years before the previous incident in Genesis 20. The reason we know that is because Isaac has now been born, and not only born, but weaned. And in that culture, you wouldn't wean a child until three, maybe four, maybe five years, ladies. That's how they would do it. And so as that time has passed, at least, we're not sure how long. But we know the event of his weaning has just taken place. And here in this passage, after sandwiched between these two climatic events, is two very ordinary things for that culture. First of all, a covenant of mutual non-aggression. That was very common with two powerful uh, tribes of people, nations. Also, a settling of a conflict over water rights. Very common in the desert. These are very ordinary events between these two mountaintops. But, but, something extraordinary happens in this passage. And perhaps you heard it as Andrew read it. A new name for God is revealed. He is given the name for the first time in the book of Genesis, the eternal God. The Lord is the eternal God. And so we see this is good news. Our God is the eternal God. But the good news gets gooder, okay? Bad grammar, good theology. It gets gooder because the eternal God is present with us in the ordinary to do the extraordinary. And he does it for his glory. He does it for the good of his covenant people. And he does it for the joy of all nations. You see, a main idea to get into this passage is to know the eternal God is with us in the ordinary to do the extraordinary. Look again at verse 22. 
where the pagan king says to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. But then look at verse 33. What God is this? It is Yahweh. But it's not merely Yahweh. It's Yahweh who is the eternal God in the land even of the Philistines. Listen, beloved, the eternal God is with us in the ordinary to do the extraordinary for the fame of His name, for the good of His covenant people, and to spread the joy of that good news to all peoples, even uncircumcised Philistines who will one day be some of the worst enemies of God's covenant people. But you may be asking on this Memorial Weekend, well, Chris, where do I fit into the story? Well, let me help you. Hopefully you'll see through the sermon, but let me give you three things up front. You may be like Abimelech this morning. You don't know the Lord this morning, but you've seen Him at work in others. And you're curious this morning, perhaps even ready to make a commitment to Him. You may be like Abraham this morning. You know the Lord, but you're far from perfect. And your witness has not always been what it should be. And all of us probably would consider our lives, and I don't mean to insult you, but well, ordinary, right? Okay? We eat, we sleep, we work, we play, we cheer the chiefs, we lament the royals. We go through the ordinary ups and downs of lives. And along the way... There are conflicts with others. And you may be wondering this morning, where is God in all of my ordinariness? Where is God and does my ordinary life really matter? Well, God has good news for you this morning. The eternal God can be with us in the ordinary to do the extraordinary. And so I want us to see this morning from this passage three reasons, three reasons why the eternal God is with us. And the first reason is this. The eternal God is with us to witness despite our faults. To witness despite our faults. Look at verse 22 again. Now it came about at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham. It doesn't say they arrived. I think they had been invited to the weaning feast. I think they were there and watched all that had took place in the previous, uh, of this previous chapter. And they, and he says to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. The first thing we want to see, and it builds the rest of the message and passage, is Abimelech's recognition. And his recognition is pointed, direct, and powerful. God is with you in all, all that you do. Now, it's important to get the timing of this. That's why in the Bible it says, now it came about at that time. What time? That's what you need to ask. The timing, as I've said, reaches back three to five years back to their first encounter. What has happened between Abimelech and in the life of Abraham in this time? Well, Abraham has deceived Abimelech regarding Sarah being his sister. God has spoken to Abimelech in a dream to warn him, you better be careful or else. 
Abimelech showed kindness, covenant loyalty to both Sarah and Abraham with sheep, with servants, with silver, and the open invitation to settle wherever you want in my land. Abraham has interceded for Abimelech, asking the Lord to reopen the wombs of the women that he had closed. God had closed healthy wombs of women who could bear children and reopened them so they could bear children. And he has opened a dead womb of a woman past childbearing so that she and her husband, who's too old to have children, could bear a child. Abraham has thrown a feast to celebrate the weaning of Isaac and the official establishment of him as his heir. And just then at that feast, Abraham has cast out Ishmael, a threat to Isaac's inheritance, and sent him and his Egyptian mother away. Now, as I said, it's very likely that Abimelech and his military commander are right there watching this happen. Now, what does all this mean for Abimelech? Well, number one, it means Abraham can't always be trusted. I mean, this guy, you know, you, just, you never know what this guy's going to do. Number two, Abraham's God is powerfully present with Abraham in all that he does, even when it, what he does isn't the right thing. And third, where does this leave Abimelech as Abraham's neighbor. I mean, I can just hear him thinking, this guy can't be trusted, but as God is all-powerful, even opening and closing wombs, what happens if he gets mad at me? I won't have any descendants. Thus, my future is in trouble if I make this guy mad. And on top of all that, I just watched him cast out any threat to his growing dynasty. Is it any wonder that Abimelech comes before Abraham and says, God is with you in all that you do? Remember, Abraham was far from perfect. Do we need to be reminded of this? We see it on every test, every chapter, right? Sometimes, listen, listen, sometimes we think we need to be perfect or sinless or never fail to be a faithful witness of the Lord. But no, the lost are not looking for perfection, but authenticity. The lost are not looking for sinless performance, but humble integrity. Selah. If you wait until you are perfect or sinless before seeking to be a witness, you never will be one. Because none of us are perfect. Can I get an amen? What Abimelech saw in Abraham's imperfection was the presence of the eternal God who is powerful and gracious to save the unsaved out of their sins and to forgive the saved of their sins and their faults. The eternal God is with you as a believer to witness despite your failings. And that's good news. Listen. This is, but, 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 this is not an excuse to live in sin. It's not an excuse to stop striving in the fight for sanctification, but it is a reminder. 
What the lost need to see is the presence. The presence of God at work in all that we do. That means the good, the bad, and yeah, even the ugly. It wasn't that Abraham didn't have failings. It was that in his failings, he would keep turning back to the eternal God. And Abimelech says, look at this God. I don't know a God like this. Our gods are not like this. What a God. And having recognized God at work in all that Abraham does, look at Abimelech's request. His request is in verse 23. Swear, swear to me here right now by God. Look at verse 23. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my posterity, but according to the kindness that I have shown you, you shall show to me and to the land in which you have sojourned. Abimelech wants to cut a covenant with Abraham. He wants Abraham to swear a covenant oath, and that covenant oath has two promises in it. The first promise is this, you won't deal falsely with me or my descendants. Gee, I wonder where that's coming from, right? I mean, this guy can't be trusted. You never know what he's going to do. He's a deceiver sometimes. So don't deal falsely with me. Don't Have your God close up the wombs of my harem and my women so that I have no future legacy. He has just seen him cast out the son of his Egyptian slave. Will he cast me out of my own land next? Who knows what this guy might do? Don't deal with me falsely. Secondly, you will act loyally like I did to you and yours. Swear to me. You will act loyally like I did with you and yours. You will deal with me. And the word here is beautiful. It's that Hebrew word kesed. It's the Hebrew word for covenant loyalty, for loving kindness. Do to me. Show me the grace I show to you. And how did he show that to Abraham? He returned his wife. He gave him riches. He even let him settle in Abimelech's own land. Listen, listen what is happening here. Don't miss it. Abimelech is blessing Abraham. He is saying to Abraham, you are blessed with the presence of a powerful God. And now I want to get in on that blessing. I want to enter into a covenant with you to secure my legacy and my lineage in this land. And you know what? That blessing is exactly what God promised to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant. Remember the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12? I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Abimelech is blessing Abraham and seeking the blessing of Abraham's God. And why is this? Why is all this happening? Because Abimelech sees, whether he understands it fully, and he probably doesn't, he sees the eternal God present in Abraham's witness despite his failings. Boy, I tell you, I can relate to that. 
13, 14, 15, 16, 17 years of age. I began to see God at work in people that I now know were truly born again. Not merely religious, going to church like I had done all my life with my family, but people in whom I sensed the presence of something. I didn't even know if it was a someone, but I saw God at work and I was drawn into that. I wanted whatever that was and I didn't know what that was. And none of those people, and I can think of three in particular, none of them were perfect. None of them were sinless, but the presence of the eternal God were there. So I say to you this morning, if you are here in covenant relationship with God through His covenant mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, then the eternal God is present with you to witness through you despite your failings. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's good news. That is good news. And if you are here this morning and the failings of God's people have become a stumbling block to your faith, then do what Abimelech did. Look past the failings of his people to the presence of the eternal God in them and realize that same God who can forgive his people can forgive you. That's what this passage is all about. But there's a second reason the eternal God is with us, His covenant people, and it's this. To walk through conflict despite the risk. To walk through conflict despite the risks. You see, Abraham, Abraham, and and this is in verses 24 through 32. That's really what the heart of this passage is talking about, 24 through 32. And Abraham, the first thing we see in these verses is Abraham risks entering into covenant. He risks making a commitment to covenantal relationship. Look at that in verse 24. You know, in the Hebrew, verse 24 is two Hebrew words. And here he says, I swear. I swear. I swear, but the emphasis is on I myself, I am eager to do this. Yes, I will swear to be in covenant relationship with you, though you are a pagan king. And boom, no hesitation, no prenup, no preemptive negotiations, no need for further assurance from this pagan king. Abraham keeps it short and simple and says, I swear. And what we see here, is a radical reversal, a radical reversal in relationship with Abimelech and Abraham. If we had the time, I'd take you back. Genesis 20, you look at their relationship. Genesis 21, you look at their relationship. And it is a radical reversal. Previously, Abimelech was the stronger, the king. Here, Abraham is the stronger. He's coming to Abraham with his military commander and say, could we be in covenant relationship? And notice the title king has been dropped. Previously, Abraham lies out of fear of Abimelech. Here, Abraham is bold and risks entering into covenant relationship. And not only that, he's going to bring up a conflict with this powerful king. 
Fearful Abraham is now bold, risk-taking Abraham. Abimelech previously was the one giving the gifts. Now Abraham is the one providing the gifts for the covenant and as a payment for the contested well that we will see. Here's the point. Abraham is willing to enter into covenant with Abimelech even before he brings up the stolen well. He doesn't know how he's going to respond. He doesn't know if he's going to keep the covenant. And by the way, when you make commitment to relationships, you have no guarantees either. You don't know what people are going to do. And when you bring up conflict, why don't we bring up conflict? For fear that we will lose the relationship. But here we have Abraham risking everything to enter into covenant relationship. What enables Abraham to take these risks? Oh, listen, listen, listen. He knows the eternal God has his back. He knows he's in a secure, stable, eternal relationship with God Almighty, El Shaddai, Yahweh, the promise keeper. One thing Abraham knows, the eternal God is with him to walk through conflict despite the risks. Listen, folks, we're seeing a pilgrim's progress in this passage. Abraham is still a pilgrim. He's still a sojourner. He's still a stranger in a strange land, but he's learning from his failings. Do you hear me? He's learning from his failings. He is learning from the consequences of his foolish choices. He is making progress in living a life of faith. And he has cast out his reliance on Ishmael, his plan B. He, in case God doesn't come through, let me keep Ishmael. He's my plan B. I trust God, but in my flesh, I need my plan B. But he cast him out. He's no longer relying on a fleshly plan B. Instead, Yahweh, the eternal God, is his plan from A to Z. Are you with me? He's my everything. I'm going to trust him no matter what. And next week, we'll see that played out when God asks him to very sacrifice the very beloved and precious son, Isaac. You see, here's the bottom line. Relationships are risky business. Relationships are risky business. But listen, beloved, when you have the eternal God as your plan from A to Z, then you can enter into relationships. You can seek to resolve conflict. You can take the risk of rejection because you have one who will never reject you. But here's what we need to understand about these risk-taking relationships. Even though Abraham takes the risk to enter into covenant with Abimelech, that doesn't mean you ignore the conflict that exists over the stolen well. Abraham takes another risk by bringing up this conflict to Abimelech, not knowing how this pagan king with his military commander standing right next to him, how's he going to respond to this? Hey, your servants took my well. Uh, Phicol, take him out. Could happen. Abraham risks resolving conflict. That's what we want to see. He not only risks going into covenant, but he risks 
resolving conflict. And so we get the story of the stolen well and the seven ewe lambs. What in the world? First of all, the conflict over the stolen well. Let's look at that. The conflict over the stolen well begins in verse 25. In verse 25, Abraham raises the conflict over a stolen well, and he brings it up repeatedly. When it says he complained, he, 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 just, he kept at it. The, the idea is, hey, don't forget about that well. Here, have some figs. No, don't, what about that well? Oh, have some wine. No, what about that well? He keeps bringing it up until Abimelech addresses it. Now, what's the big deal about a well? Well, when you live in a desert, the well is everything. Without a source of water, you're going to die. Remember last week? Hagar and Ishmael nearly died of thirst until God opened her eyes to see a life-giving well. Listen, a well is everything. It is life. The stolen well is a very big deal, and Abraham won't let it go until it's resolved. Listen to me, listen to me. Just because the eternal God is your plan from A to Z doesn't mean you sweep conflict under the carpet or you never set boundaries. Are you hearing me? Risk the relationship to resolve the conflict. Conflicts test our covenant loyalty to one another, and it tests our faith in the covenant God who has our backs because not every conflict gets resolved. Not every relationship will be reconciled, but you can risk it when the eternal God has your back. And so in verse 26, Abimelech pleads ignorance and innocence again with a threefold. Okay, Abraham, you're really intense on this. Well, let me assure you three times over. One, I don't know who has done this. Two, you never told me about this was a problem. And sometimes we do that because we don't risk conflict. Three, I never heard it until today. Now, of course, that begs the question, was he telling the truth? I think he was. You know why? Because in the previous story, when God confronts him in a dream, Abimelech says, I didn't know. And as soon as God says, well, now you do, Abimelech made it right. And I think according to verse 27, Abraham must have taken him at his word. Look at verse 27. Abraham must have taken the king at his word, for he immediately provides a sheep and an ox for the covenant, and the two of them cut a covenant. Your Bibles probably say make a covenant. The word, the Hebrew word is karat. It means cut, cut. And so the sheep and the oxen are cut in half. Their bloody halves are laid on either side, and hand by hand, Abimelech and Abraham walk through the sacrifice, swearing to one another, may it be done to me and you if we do not keep this covenant. And then in verse 28, the story really ought to be over. But then in verse 28, Abraham takes the initiative to resolve the conflict over the well. And conflict resolution is not only risky, it is costly. It will cost you something. Your pride, your ego, perhaps 
financial reconciliation, restitution, because here he brings up in, in verse 29, or in verse 28, he brings the ewe lambs. Look at verse 28. Then Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And in verse 29, Abimelech freaks out. And he says to Abraham, what do these seven ewe lambs mean, which you have set by themselves? You didn't cut those. What are those doing over there? You know, Abraham does a lot of strange things in Abimelech's eyes that freak him out. And like, who are you? What are you doing? And listen, unsaved people aren't always going to be there cheering you on on everything you do. They will often say, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And so he asks that. And in verse 30, we see the compensation of the seven ewe lambs. The compensation of the seven ewe lambs. The well is justly mine. Look at verse 30. Abraham said, You shall take the seven ewe lambs from my hand in order that it may be a witness to me that I dug this well. See, he had dug the well, and Abimelech's servants had forcibly, illegally taken the well from Abraham. And now Abraham is saying, look, let's settle this once and for all. I've told you about the conflict. Now I'm willing to give you seven ewe lambs in payment and compensation so that I can justly lay claim that this well is mine. Now, what's up with seven ewe lambs? I don't know, unless you're a shepherd or whatever. I I had to look it up because I have no clue, but it must be important because there's seven of them. First of all, female lambs were valuable. They would reproduce and multiply into more lambs in the future. So he's giving him a gift that will multiply into the future. Secondly, seven is the number of perfection, indicating full compensation. I have paid fully. This is a done deal. It should no longer be a conflict. And these seven ewe lambs would keep reproducing into the future and be a witness that the well rightly belongs to Abraham who fully compensated Abimelech for it even though Abraham dug the well himself. You see, Abraham is being a blessing while also providing for the future of his family in the land. And so that brings us thirdly to the covenant made at Beersheba. So the story is now concluded. The covenant has been made. The well has been secured. And so the covenant is now made at a place that's called Beersheba, swearing of oaths in the seven lambs. Look at verse 31. Therefore, he called that place Beersheba, because there the two of them took an oath. Now, what's up with Beersheba? Here's what you got to understand. It's made up of two Hebrew words. Bear is the Hebrew word for well, and they're arguing over a well. Sheba is a word that is extremely similar to both the Hebrew word for seven and for oaths. And so the well is called the well of the swearing or the well of the seven ewe lambs. It's the well that has been secured. 
So every time you would hear the name Beersheba, it would bring to, to, to mind the time when Abraham and Abimelech both swore an oath, cut a covenant, and Abraham gave seven ewe lambs for the rights to the life-giving well. And so in verse 32 we see, so they made a covenant at Beersheba. And Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the army, arose and returned to the land of the Philistines. The covenant has been made. The conflict has been resolved. But who made all this possible? Was it Abraham? Was it Abimelech? No, it's the eternal God who's at work on behalf of His covenant people. It's the eternal God who wants to be a witness to the lost and the nations and bring them into covenant relationship. And so in in the end of verse 32, the pagan king and the military commander returned to their land. You know why? Because Bathsheba, Beersheba, I got my stories. Beersheba is now the land of Abraham. It's his land. It's his foothold in the promised land. Beloved, I say to you, listen to me, what is the lesson for us in this? Don't let the bondage of bitterness enslave you. Don't let, don't refuse to reconcile with those who have repented and requested. Be like Abraham. Be quick to say, yes, yes, let's reconcile. Don't let past betrayals prevent you from enjoying new relationships. Don't let unresolved conflict steal away your peace. The eternal God is your plan from A to Z. And when He is with you, you can risk entering into new relationships even though you've been betrayed. You can risk resolving conflict although they may reject you because you have your plan from A to Z. Well, there's one more reason the eternal God is with His covenant people, and it's this, to worship Him despite small beginnings. To worship Him despite small beginnings. Look at verses 33 and 34. Here is the climactic climax of this story, immersed in the ordinary. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba. Really? And there he called on the name of the Lord. Yes, the Lord. He's been doing that all his life. But now it's the everlasting, the eternal God. And Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. How does Abraham respond to all that has been going on in this passage? He responds like he always does. He worships. He worships. Because you know why? The life of faith always makes worship a priority. The life of faith always makes worship a priority and worship of the eternal God because He's the only thing that's going to last, folks. Whatever comes before you and your worship of God is temporary. It will be burned up. It will be wasted away. The only thing that is worthy of your worship on this planet earth is the eternal God, for He is unchanging, never dying, and He will always be your plan from A to Z. 
And so in these verses that I just read, we see three reasons to worship the eternal God. The first is this, worship now for future generations. Worship now for future generations. Where do you see this, Chris? He planted a tree. Why do you plant a tree? You plant it so it will be there for future generations. Amen? You plant it. And if you see a big tree today, someone way in the past planted that tree. Why plant a tree? Because he plans on living here for the rest of his earthly life. Why plant a tamarisk tree? Because they grow in sandy soil, and that was the soil. Because they need lots of water, and he planted it next to the well. Because they always stay green, evergreen, evergreen like the eternal God. And they provide shade, and their leaves are fodder for the livestock. There's all sorts of reasons. It's a tree that grows really tall and can be seen. Instead of building an altar, like he's done all throughout this story, instead of building an altar, he plants a tree. It's a picture of a pilgrim's progress for future generations. Abraham is a wandering pilgrim, but he's putting down roots at Beersheba to provide a home for Sarah, for Isaac, for Jacob. In fact, as you trace the rest of Genesis, this is where Abraham lives for the rest of his life. This is where Isaac is raised. This is where Jacob is raised until he runs away from Esau. This is where Jacob and his 12 sons, or 11 actually, will leave for Egypt to join Joseph. He's putting down roots in the promised land. Listen, parents, let me say to you, are you planting tamarisk trees for your children? Are you prioritizing worship? And I know I'm preaching to the choir. It's Memorial Weekend. You're here. I get that, okay? But listen to me. These are good decisions. Listen, beloved, as parents, when you prioritize the worship of God rather than the worship of your children, you are handing them a legacy to say, when you grow, worship God like I did. Listen, if you prioritize your kids now, When they grow up, they will prioritize themselves. That's what you taught them. If you prioritize them over everything, they will prioritize themselves. But when you prioritize the worship of the eternal God, they may or may not follow you, but you have pointed them in the right direction. The tamarisk tree is a picture of small beginnings and future hope. The eternal God is slowly Surely, growing the fulfillment of His promises to Abraham. God's presence is now with God's people in God's place in Beersheba. And do you realize that Beersheba, listen, when in Joshua they begin to claim all the promised land, from then on in the rest of the Old Testament, the promised land is described as from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. From Dan to Beersheba. From Dan to Beersheba, this is the foothold in the promised land. And so Abraham calls on Yahweh, the eternal God. And here's your second reason. Worship now in light of eternity. Worship now in light of eternity. Call on the eternal God this morning. The, and you see this in 33b. Notice, and there 
There in that place, there having planted that tree, he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Here's the, here's the point. The eternal God has begun to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. He has begun to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. And by now, I'm, we're going to review it. So if you don't remember, you need to remember the Abrahamic covenant has four, four key promises. Number one, the promised seed. The eternal God has provided the promised son from dead wombs and basically an infertile man. Secondly, the promised land. The eternal God has provided the first parcel of land, as I've told you. From Dan to Beersheba, the foothold has taken place. Third, the promised blessing. God's presence with God's people in God's place. That's the blessing. The presence of God has been recognized by an unsaved pagan. And then the promised Gentile nations. Here is the forefather of Israel's future enemies, the uncircumcised Philistines being blessed by Yahweh because he's a blessing to God's people. And what a reminder, if you're here this morning, if you do not know him, he wants to bless you this morning. I say it again, he wants to bless you. And if you are here and you are a child of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ, he wants you to be a blessing to the nations, the uncircumcised, the pagan, the unbelieving. It doesn't matter who they are. You are to be a blessing to them. But why does it end? Why does it end with him still sojourning in the land? That's verse 34. Here's it ends. And Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. Here's the third reason. Worship now until, until we're home. Worship now until we're home. Or you can say it this way. Worship now because you're not home yet. You're not home yet. Remember that old gospel song? Some of you may. This world is not my home. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. They're all expecting me, and that's one thing I know. My Savior pardoned me, and now I onward go. I know He'll take me through, though I am weak and poor. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I have a loving Savior up in glory land. I don't expect to stop until I with Him stand. And He's waiting now for me in heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Aren't you glad I didn't sing it? Folks, this is why he's still sojourning. He's putting down roots. He's putting down roots, but not so deep, for he looks for a, 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 a city and a country that comes down from heaven. And if you don't like that song, then hear it straight from the Bible. All these in Hebrews 11.13, all these died in faith without receiving the promise, but having seen them 
and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. For those who say such things, make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared a city for them. Here's the last thing I want you to see. From these small beginnings in Beersheba, from these small beginnings has come a true and better Jesus. Beloved, our Bathsheba is not a physical well. It's living waters from the Holy Spirit on this Pentecost Sunday. Our memorial tree is not a tamarisk tree. It's a rough-hewn cross on Mount Calvary. Our covenant oath has been sworn by our covenant God just as it was to Abraham. And yet it is made secure by the obedience, the sinless obedience of the Son of Abraham, Son of God, Jesus Christ. Our land will be His kingdom come on earth and the heavenly Jerusalem that will come down from above. And on that day, the promises to Israel, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to the Gentile nations will be fulfilled. And it will be fulfilled all because the name of the eternal God is Jesus Christ our Lord. With your heads bowed, I want you to really think this morning, am I progressing as a pilgrim in the presence of the eternal God? Is my life of faith growing through this series? Is the eternal God not just my plan A or maybe even my plan B? but my plan from A to Z. And are you making progress in your pilgrimage? Father God, you are the eternal God and ultimate promise keeper. We trust that you are revealing yourself to hearts right now by your word and spirit. Reveal yourself to those seeking your presence like Abimelech, like I once was. May they now surrender their hearts to your covenant mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Reveal yourselves to those, yourself to those who, like Abraham, already know you as their Redeemer, but they're weak in their faith. They're, they're faltering in their witness, Lord. And maybe this past week, they were even lukewarm in their worship. Lord, set them free. Forgive them. Renew them. Lord, you're the eternal God who is always present with your people. Let us witness for you despite our failings this week. Let us walk through conflict despite the risks this week. Let us worship you, not just today, but all this week, despite the small beginnings and our eternal hope. We pray these things in the blessed name of our eternal God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.